Hello, my name's Nick Reinberger, and welcome to day five of Five Days in Nashville. So how do songwriters actually make a living? APRA AMCOS is the not-for-profit copyright collective which represents Australian and New Zealander composers, lyricists and music publishers. They've got offices in songwriting hubs such as LA, London and, of course, Nashville. I sat down with the CEO, Dean Ormston. You know, we started looking at how many of our members were starting to set up and live overseas and work overseas. And we were getting lots of queries from those members asking us for information from everything around visas to introductions through to parts of the industry in those territories and for contacts. And it got to the point that we felt we needed some help on the ground, some real-time support for our members. So we're very, very lucky to have Mark Moffat on the ground in Nashville. I don't think there's anybody in Nashville who doesn't know Mark Moffat. So to have him as our APRA support and our APRA contact in Nashville is is pretty amazing. Do you think the musical epicentre of the world is Nashville at the moment? The feedback we get, and I've been to Nashville admittedly on short trips each year for the last three years, and just to see the boom in Nashville in terms of people moving there, and obviously cost of living has been a major driver there, and to see that it's not the genre-specific location that you may well think it is, that people who are working in various genres are setting up camp and their lives in Nashville and and doing really well. And what was explained to me really graphically last year was just what an epicentre within the live touring market uh, Nashville is, just of its its geographic location. So there's a range of people now living in Nashville and working in Nashville. Let's just talk about the life of a musical creator. It feels like we had a simpler time in maybe the 80s, early 90s when there was physical product to sell in CDs. These days it's a very different proposition. How challenging is it to make a living from creating music? I think it's absolutely challenging. There was a lot of excitement for a number of years about the DIY move for the music industry with the development on of the internet and distribution channels, um, being able to access the world from your bedroom. Of course, a lot of excitement around that, and it's it's meant amazing things for you know enormous number of uh, songwriters and artists. Um, but with that becomes this, comes this enormous challenge with managing all, all that yourself. If you're the sort of artist that doesn't have management publishing label, for instance, and we see people certainly doing a lot more themselves for a lot longer before they enter into uh, more formal publishing and and label arrangements. So I think the nature of being an artist in the business has changed dramatically and you you need to think about your revenue streams in a very broad way that if you're going to be able to make a career from it and, and have a living and pay the rent, then you need to think broadly and understand what all your revenue streams are. And, of course, we talk to our members all the time about their rights. Like, you know, make sure you've read the fine print on anything that you sign, um, whether it's sync deals or merch deals or or whatever else it might be. You might have to explain what a sync deal is. When somebody might want to use your musical work in a movie or a television series or something like that. So you're, you're taking an existing piece of music and you're locating that in another medium, uh, we call that a synchronisation deal. So in advertising, obviously, is a really dominant use, which can be really lucrative, uh, which is great. 
and what we just remind our members is you know this is a, it's these points where it's worth just stopping everything for a minute reading the the terms and conditions maybe getting a lawyer to look at everything before you sign away because your your revenue streams are now diverse you need to maximize all of them and uh you know, people can be very compelling in convincing artists and songwriters of the value of exposure. But we do live in a world now that once you've given it away, it's very hard to pull it back and monetize it retrospectively. You need to think about that up front. Last night out of the blue, drifting off to the evening news. She said, honey, what would you do if you'd have never met me? I just laughed, said, I don't know. I could take a couple guesses though And then tried to dig real deep Said, darling, honestly I do a lot more offshore fishing I'd Probably eat more drive through chicken And take a few strokes off my golf game If I'd have never known your name I'd still be driving that old green Nova I probably never would have heard of yoga I'd be a better football fan if I was a single man, alone and out there on the loose, I'd be looking for a woman like you. This is Five Days in Nashville. I'm Nick Reinberger. That's A Woman Like You by Lee Bryce, co-written by one of the most successful writers in Nashville, Australian Phil Barton. He has one of the most coveted jobs in the city, a staff writer with Liz Rowe's Music with his own office on Music Row. I met Phil in his office to find out how he made it there. I just always dreamt of uh, coming to Nashville, I guess, to uh, have a crack, I guess, what is what how you'd say it. Um, and I did my first trip over and just landed on this place called Music Row and I knew my life would never be the same, really. It's just like a bunch of blocks of studios and record companies and management and songwriting houses and I just was everything I'd ever dreamt about being part of so and what was your plan once you got to music row to kind of break in there to write a hit song man um (laughs) it was basically there was no plan it was just I mean there were so many uh obstacles to get through to get visas and to get the chance to move over um that when I got here, I just basically went around to all the open mics and would try and meet people and see whoever wanted to write songs and and just got to it. I just started writing songs one, two, three times a day and just had that dream to try and uh, get the hit song. I don't know, someone once said to me that if you write every day, you might get six amazing songs a year, so... I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I go on that principle that I just will do the hard work and do it every day and hopefully I get the gems, you know. Do you know the gems when you hear them, when they come out? I think you have a real good feeling, like, on songs, but it's some days you work so hard on a song that you're exhausted or you don't really get the magnitude of how good the song is because you're flustered by the day or... Most of the time you get a feeling that this one's a bit special. Mm. Well, we're sitting here in in your office on Music Row at Liz Rose Music. How did you get to this position? 
I know it's pretty special, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about like coming to Music Row too. Was I was like, man, this can be a legit job where we have offices and we do nine to fives where we're writing songs and that's and we get paid a weekly rate wage. You know, it was just it blew my mind that this thing that we were doing back home or you know, what what was always a part of us could be a professional job and that's what I love about Nashville and having my own office on Music Row, I mean, it's, it's a dream to me. Also in Phil's office that day was another Australian, Kylie Sackley. She's written for Keith Urban, Alan Jackson, Faith Hill, Leanne Rhymes and more, including this number, which is not country at all. Walker Hayes' number one single, You Broke Up With Me. Well, I got some coke in my Burma surfing a room like Swayze. You know, I ain't drunk, I'm amazed. Yeah, I got that lay way, way back, back in my swagger. X Factor, feeling no pain. I'm at the top of my game. Darling, you can't crash my party with your sorry and what are we? Don't start raining on my Mardi Gras parade for a minute. Now, I ain't even fixing to listen to your guilt tripping. You're forgetting, girl, you made your bed and didn't want me in Came over to Nashville to write for my first record and uh, fell in love with it. Moved when I was barely 20. And ultimately, just songwriting was always my number one above being an artist. So I just sort of made the shift and took a leap of faith, if you will. So how did you approach getting your head above this incredible competition we've got in Nashville? Um, I actually got super lucky very quickly. I think I had been in town for like six months, maybe, when Nothing About Love Makes Sense was recorded by Leanne Rhymes. I was one of those freak of nature, if you will, that it all happened very quickly. And within a year, I had a hit single on the radio. I mean, Leanne Rhymes is a big name. How does a a young Aussie, after six months, get a song in front of her people? Um, my publisher at the time, Big Tractor, I guess they pitched it to Dan Huff, who was producing her stuff at the time, and he played it for Leanne, and she loved it, and... Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Happened from there. Yeah, it was very lucky, very lucky. There must have been a lot of hard work that, <laughs> that went into that beforehand, though. When did you start writing your own songs? Were you a little girl? Yeah, nine, eight or nine. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice with the moving overseas and stuff and... Um, just hours and hours and hours of writing about boys in my bedroom really (laughs) (laughs) writing about my feelings yeah yeah it was very therapeutic and it turns out it was a career path for me which is I'm so lucky I hear from a lot of the writers that I've been interviewing that there's this mainstream you have to keep happy this particular kind of bro country three minutes booty shaking out in the pickup truck (laughs) but you've gone outside that not just with your songwriting as well as the people you're writing for so there is this alternative to that sort of bro country isn't there is that a sort of a deliberate road you've gone down well um put it this way I'm not a southern American dude who grew up sitting on a tailgate or drinking Coors Light um and I really can't sell saying that so I just sold 
what speaks to me, what I grew up on. I let it be a little more natural to who I am. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I have written plenty of dude sitting on a tailgate song too. (laughs) It's true. I mean, we try to, you know, obviously all right, the big Blake Shelton, but for the most part, I don't know. I just, I'm a stubborn chick and I just sit down and I hear something. Phil will attest to that. He's written with me a million times. But if I just hear something going a certain weird way, I'm drawn to it. What advice would you give to a young Australian writer who wants to make it in Nashville? I would say write and write and write. And when you think you've perfected it, keep writing, keep editing. Practice makes perfect. I would say go out, go to shows, meet people. And just, I mean, going out is a big thing, but honestly, just stay true to yourself, work really hard because everyone in this town is hustling even after ample success. The biggest writers in this town are still beating everyone to music row and writing before everyone else every day. So, you know, just get in, do the hard yards. Like a cloud full of rain shouldn't hang in the sky. A little Leanne Rhymes, courtesy of a song written by Kylie Sackley. Well, folks, that's the end of our five days in Nashville, so thanks for listening. I'm Nick Reinberger. Chat to you next time. Oh, everybody thinks they're the next big thing. Everybody thinks they're the